0: good morning. Let's pray again before we do anything else. Father, we thank you that we can trust in you. We thank you that you're a trustworthy God. And as we come before you now and, and as we open up your word, uh, we just pray for the, the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, we, we, we confess that there are many people in this room with, with many different needs. And Lord, some of us maybe need to be to be challenged. Some of us need to be a challenge out of our, our lethargy or our, our our sleepiness. Some of us need to be encouraged if we're, if we're disheartened. Some of us need to be comforted. And we just trust your spirit that he will know and, and minister and tend each one of us as we have need. And we, we thank you for him. And we pray that Jesus would be honoured and, and glorified this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. We're coming to the, the Concluding ser- a sermon in our series on the, the Holy Spirit. And we're thinking this, this week about, thought all about what it means to, who the Holy Spirit is. And something of what it means to, to walk in and with the Spirit. And as we come to, to the end of our series, we come to a, a really a, end on, on a challenge of what the Bible says about resisting the Spirit's work in our lives. And we, if we know a little bit more now of who the Spirit is and, and how he works. Eh, but Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we responding to the work of the Spirit? I want to read two passages as we begin our our time in the Word. First one in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. If we go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. This is God's Word. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And if you turn over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, just a few books forward, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, Hebrews 3 and verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during a time of testing in the wilderness. Your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I think for, for every marriage to, to, be, to be possible, to become a reality and to function, there's two fundamental questions that every, every marriage needs. And the first one is the most, most obvious one. The first question that needs to be asked for a marriage to happen is, will you marry me? And that's a question I asked Naomi in a beautiful sunset around Moorhead in Port Rush. got down on one knee, will you marry me? And, and thankfully, for some reason, the answer was, was yes. And that made the, the marriage possible. But then for the marriage to function, there's another question that has to be asked and answered many, many, many times. And it was one time, a, and I've already asked forgiveness for Naomi for, for telling this story, but it reflects more badly on me than it does of her. But uh, Naomi was heavily pregnant with a with, with first child, and we would agreed to meet after work. Naomi was working in, in the oil, uh, and meet on the Lisburn Road. And Naomi, in her nursing uniform, said, "Called ahead and said, bring a change of, bring a change of clothes.'" So I said, ah, no problem, no problem. Looking forward to, to getting out and ma- uh, doing something in the evening." Met uh, over in Lisburn Road. Naomi said, did "You to bring the clothes." I thought, "I'm a great husband. I remembered to you bring the clothes. Didn't forget." And handed her a pair of jeans. And then we looked at the jeans. A pair, a pair of skinny jeans um, for a woman who's just about to give birth. Uh, okay, not great. And then, um, so what? Very gracious. She said, well, "That's okay. Well, at least I can put the top on and I can wear the top the top I brought." And she got the top out, and it was basically a pajama top. Um, <laughs> so the second question after "Will you marry me?" the second question that needs to be asked time and time again is, "Do you forgive me? Will you forgive me?" and um, The first question is, is, I suppose, for for marriage. The second question is, in in any relationship, any relationship that we we maintain over a length of time, will you forgive me? Uh, Because if you're like me, you'll need to ask that question many, many times. And really, when we think about resisting the spirit, I think fundamentally it comes down to those two questions. Will, Will you marry me? Will you enter into a relationship with the spirit? And then, will you forgive me? And the first passage you read, Ephesians chapter 4, is, is like that, That first asks that question, or shows us that we have to ask that question, will you forgive me? But before, before we get there, look at chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. Um, it shows us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. A few weeks ago, we, I, I was preaching in, on the fruit of the Spirit, and that's the passage where it talks about keeping step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, walk with the Spirit. And I think I I wrestled with how do you you describe or summarize what it means to walk in the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit? How do you summarize and explain what it means to be in a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? And look look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What does it mean to walk in, in step to, and to know the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives? He's saying that in verse 16 that the Spirit comes into our, our inner being and that, he, if you like, he, he unites us to Christ. It's through the Spirit that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. The Spirit is one that brings us to Christ and makes us know that the love of Christ, which is beyond comprehension, what is it to know? What is it to walk and, and to know God in the Holy Spirit? If I try to explain to you one of my like, favorite experiences eh, growing up, we always holidayed in, in Portrush. A week in Portrush, amazing holiday, and we stayed in a wee flat just overlooking the Arcadia Beach, and we spent our days down on the, the, Arca- the Arcadia Beaches that we small. It seems to have shrunk as I've got older. Uh, I'm not quite not quite sure how that's happened, but the Arcadia Beach definitely was bigger whenever I was a child. Um, but we spent our days splashing about in, in the Arcadia Beach, and the experience of running into that water, the freezing cold, feeling your tums go, your your toes go numb, um, and the pain as you got your head under the water, but then floating in the water and looking over and seeing all the people on the beach and Rush, amazing experience. And I could try and explain, describe that experience to you. And you might get something of what it's like, or it might remind you of something. Um, but can you really experience that the way I? Can you really fully understand and experience that the way I've, I've experienced it? How do you do that? Well, you'll have to get in your car, drive to Port Rush, get your swimming gear on, and get into the Arcadia Beach. And even then, you're not going to experience it the way, the way I've experienced it. Because whenever I do that, even now, I have all sorts of memories about my childhood and it means something to me. You will experience it differently than me. What is, how do I explain or describe what it means to walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit? It's, in a way, it's, it's indescribable. And why? Because it's, it's, it is a relationship. Or if, if you try, try to describe or explain a loving relationship with a, a parent or a spouse or a friend, try and try and put that into words and explain to me and get me to feel what that means, what that's like. Could you do it? You could try. You might do, do a good job of it. But I'm never going to experience and know what that means, what that really, really is like for you. Because it's a relationship with another person. And whenever it comes to, to our, our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's, in a way, it's impossible to, to explain, describe. On one level, because God is, is infinite, we can never exhaust him. And also because it's a relationship with another person. And I love what, what Paul says in, that, in, in Ephesians 3. He says that he prays for them to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. So he's asking, praying for them, they would know no more of this this love, but the love is beyond knowledge. It's like trying to pour the ocean into a, a tiny cup. It, can't, it just can't grasp, it can't f- contain it all. And so with us, we can't grasp, can't contain what it is to, to really know and, and love, know and love our Creator through the Holy Spirit. And so we, we can't describe it, we can't fully get our heads around this Relationship that we're in this relationship with God. The Spirit dwells in us. So then he comes on to Ephesians chapter 4. And then in, in, so in Paul's letters, usually the first half of the letters, he gives us doctrine of what explains who God is, who Christ is, what God has done for us. And in the second half of the letters, it's teaching, what, what, how it affects our lives. And in chapter 4, he's giving them some instructions about just how to live, how to conduct ourselves as believers. And he says in verse 29, Do not let any, of chapter 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So he's talking about our speech, that when we, when we, when we talk to and about other people, that it be helpful, that it be edifying. And I feel like another way of saying that, in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so when he comes to talk about what it means to live a, a, a godly, God-honoring life, a way of saying that is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying in, in our lives, as Christian lives, if God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Paul doesn't say, well, here, here's a list of rules and just keep those and if you do those things, you can tick those things off, well then you'll be a, you'll be a, a good little Christian and you'll be great. Whenever he comes to speaking about what it means to, to honour and to obey God, he says what, what's it like to, 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 to not do that? What's it like to, to not honour and to, to disobey God? Well it's like grieving the Holy Spirit. It's like grieving a person. If the Holy Spirit is this reality in our lives, it shows us, reveals us the love of Christ and is with us and in us and is beyond comprehension, beyond explanation. He's saying, well, whenever you talk about someone else and you use words that are are hurtful and you try to tear people down and build yourself up, it's not just that you've you've broken some abstract law or a rule in, in heaven. He's saying what you've done is you've, you've grieved the Holy Spirit within your heart. Because we have God living inside of us. And we and the people around us are made in the image of God. And he's particularly talking about, about our relationship with other believers. Those are people who are made in the image of God. People for whom Christ died. And people who the Holy Spirit dwells in them. And he's saying then for us to go around and, and, and criticise and to puff ourselves up and to hurt other people to sin against God it's it's not just breaking a, a command or a rule, it's actually grieving God himself in our hearts people for whom Christ died there are people who think of God as, as being so and, uh, abstract and God is, is unchangeable and the whole, uh, Theologians talk about God being immutable, He never changes, and yes. And there are some people who kind of construct a God who is incapable of feeling. He's just kind of like a machine in the sky who we just have to please and do the right thing. And the Bible says, yes, God doesn't change, but the Bible also affirms that God has emotions, God feels, God responds to, to us, how we live. And when we sin against Him, it says, we are grieving the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so in our, our relationship with God, when we, when we sin, when, when, we, when we mess up, we have to keep coming back and saying, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And the amazing thing is, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But then he adds, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he's not saying that well, if you grieve the Holy Spirit he'll be like somebody who just takes the hump and walks off and, and never comes back again. The relationship's over. But he says if you're a believer, if, you're, if, you, if you've been united to Christ, you've been sealed until the day of redemption. It's like in a marriage. a committed People are in a covenant together, committed to each other. And yes, they will hurt each other. Yes, they will say stupid things. There will be real disagreements. There will be real rows. But you're in it together, you're united together. You're, you, you forgive each other. And he's saying, The Spirit, we've been sealed by the Spirit. So, yes, we will grieve him, yes, we will, we will hurt him, but we say sorry. And we're in a covenant relationship with him. And he forgives us, and we, we come back to him. And we can know the grieving of the Spirit, but we can also know what it is to have the jo- joy in the Spirit, to experience forgiveness. So there's the, there's the negative, but then there's also the positive. We experience what it is to know and be loved by God. We have a reassurance that the Holy Spirit is, is, can be grieved, but he's with us for the long haul. So as in any relationship, we, we, we come back to him and we say, we say sorry. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then what, is it, what also does it mean as, as, as Christians to, to resist the Holy Spirit? There's another passage in First Thessalonians 5.19. Um, like, Paul gives lots of little exhortations at the end of the passage, at the end of the book of First Thessalonians. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So we can grieve the Spirit as, as individuals, as we rub shoulders with each other. But we can also quench the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to, to quench the Holy Spirit? Well, I think the way I, I get my head around it is that quenching the Spirit is basically grieving the Spirit, but doing it as a, as, as a body of believers, doing it as, as a church the Holy Spirit is, is when the Spirit is moving amongst us and in us and we, we say yeah, th- thanks but no thanks we'll just re- we'll, we'll not, we'll not bother with that, we'll not, we'll not w- worry about that. If God is moving in us and we turn away from it, turn a blind eye to it um, n- not turning away from God but turning away from a particular movement of the Spirit within our church. So What if in our church on a Sunday morning we're worshipping together and someone is really moved and wants to put their hands up and wants to really embrace what it is to worship God and show that publicly? Do we look at that person and go, "Hmm, look at him, look at her, Who who does he think she is, who does she think she is? Or do we rejoice that God is moving in someone and move them to to express their their love of God and and their worship? Or do we maybe quench the spirit and we because we like to be more um, prim and proper, we, we we reject what God's doing in someone else's heart? What if God moved in our in our community, in our town, brought people into our church who were who were different from us, who were maybe culturally, socially, nationally? different, maybe they spoke different language or they dress and act differently from our largely middle class church, what if God did something and, and all of a sudden we weren't as comfortable in, in, on a Sunday morning would we say, oh I liked things the way they were, what if God moved among the, the Syrian refugees and, and, and all of a sudden we had to have translators and, and change our service slightly to accommodate them, would we say oh, I, I liked it back the way it was or would we say, God is doing something, rejoice. It maybe makes me uncomfortable, makes it different. But amazing, God's spirit is moving. Would we quench the spirit? What if God healed someone who was, who, who was sick? God did something that defied our expectations of him. Would we react with questions and, and reject it? Or would we, would we worship and, and celebrate God? As individuals and as churches, we need to listen to, listen to the spirit's voice. That we don't grieve him as, as individuals or quench the Spirit as he moves and works in our church. So that, that's thinking of, of, of believers as Christians. But then, turning back to the Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And if you like, there's ways for, for believers to resist the work of the Holy Spirit grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, or lying to the Spirit, that's the uh, Ananias and Sapphira passage in in Acts. But then also for people who 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 aren't in that covenant, like marriage relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's possible for them to to, to resist the work of the Spirit as well. Blaspheming the Spirit, insulting the Spirit, resisting the Spirit. And If you go to Hebrews chapter 3, I always find this a really sobering Challenging uh, passage. Quoting from Psalm 95, the, the writer of the Hebrew says, Today, or well, he says, so as the Holy Spirit says, so this is the Holy Spirit speaking to, the, to, to, to us and to all who hear these words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during a time of testing in the wilderness. Where well, your ancestor tested and tried me, for forty days, they, forty years, they saw what I did. That was why I was angry with that generation. I said, "Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways." So I declared an oath in my anger: "They shall never enter my rest." Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. To each one of us here this morning under the sound of, of, of God's word. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And this passage is warning people from, from falling away. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? So these weren't people who were strangers to, to God's word or strangers to, 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 to um, the message. They so were people who, who had been led out of Egypt. Went through the Red Sea. Saw all that. And perhaps even thought that they were part of God's God's covenant community. And yet in the wilderness when they were tested and tried. They just <clears throat> fell away. They stopped listening to God's voice. So God says to us this morning. Whoever we are. Whatever stage we are at or we think we are at. Today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Maybe. You have, have had a conversion experience maybe you've walked with God but it's, the passage is saying today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts if you walk away even if you've had those experiences in the past if you walk away he, verse 12 see to it brothers and sisters that none of, none of you has a sinful un, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God we can resist the Holy Spirit and turn away from God himself. I wonder, is that you this morning? Have you been resisting the Spirit speaking into your heart? Are you in danger of turning away from the living God? Or come, back um, come back to him. Come back to him. Come back to Christ. And then there are those who, who reject him completely. And we don't have, have time to, to get into it, but there are passages in the New Testament to talk about the, the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. Uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Sometimes people get very anxious about have they committed this very particular sin that are they incapable of ever being being forgiven? What does it mean to, to commit the, the unpardonable sin? We don't have time to get, to get into in detail, but w- one sentence from a, from a commentator uh, helps me. He says, the, the, the unforgivable sin is a state of willful, determined opposition to the present power of the Holy Spirit. A state of willful, determined opposition to the present power of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel the Holy Spirit... Know the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and drawing you to, to, to Christ. If we said that in Christ, grieving the Spirit is saying, I'm sorry, in a marriage, which we have to say lots and lots of times. Outside of Christ, resisting the Holy Spirit is the fiance down on one knee, holding up the ring, saying, Will you marry me? And maybe this morning the Spirit is holding forth Christ to you this morning and saying, come to Christ. Be united to him. Come and know forgiveness. Know the experience of what it is to be in him and know the forgiveness of God, the relationship with God, holding forth Christ to you this morning. And there's no middle ground. There's only, yes, I do, I will. Or there's no. And so what the, I think... The, the blasphemy of the, the unpardonable sin—it's to, to hear and to see the Spirit holding Christ forth to you, and to say, "No, thank you. I'm better off by myself." And in rejecting Christ, you're, you said no to Him, and Christ, in effect, says no then to you. And so maybe this morning, you're here. Your Holy Spirit you, is holding Christ forth to you. And will you continue in a state of willful, determined opposition to the present power of the Holy Spirit? Will you respond saying, yes, I will enter into a relationship with him and, and know him now and for eternity? So wherever you are in our relationship with God, maybe we, for you this morning it's coming back and saying, I'm sorry, yet again, for the umpteenth time today, never mind this week, or, or in your walk with, G- with Jesus. We continually mess up. We continually grieve the Spirit. But the Spirit is gracious and patient and wants us to come back and say we're sorry and we experience forgiveness. And part of that is what we're going to do in a few moments, the Lord's Supper, is a way of experiencing one more time um, the forgiveness, like continually walking with, with, with Christ. And maybe for the first time, you need to say yes to the Spirit as he holds forth Christ to you. And I would really, really encourage, if that's you this morning, maybe you've got this inner dialogue in your head, will I, won't die, yes or no. I went through that lots of times as a a young person. The worst thing you can do is just put that off. You know, Genesis says, the Spirit of God will not strive with man forever. Don't just put it off. Respond to him and talk to someone about it. Love to talk to you. Or somebody else, loads of people here. Love to talk to you and celebrate if you're coming to Christ and help you work through what that actually means in your life. Don't put it off and don't keep it just in your heart and in your mind, but profess it, confess with your mouth, mouth that Jesus is, is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without him, we, we, we would be alone in the dark we would not know who Christ is and not have him revealed to our hearts. And we we would know the experience of of your love. So do pray for each of us as we respond, whether it's just coming back to you for the millionth time, saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you that you love me. Help me to to, to walk more closely with you. Whether it's coming back to you after falling away or if it's coming to you for the first time. We pray for the work of your Spirit now in our hearts. Move powerfully, we pray, that that Jesus would be honoured and glorified in us as individuals and us as, as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.